Turn your Bibles to Psalm 19. And I would invite you to stand with me so we read the word of the Lord. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voices go out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them... There is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Thank you, Lord, for your word. You may be seated. Lyman Abbott speaks of innocence when he says, every life is a march from innocence through temptation to virtue or vice. Every life is a march from innocence through temptation to virtue or vice. Now, that's not a theological statement. If we were going to word that exactly to match up with the scripture, we might tweak it a bit here and there. Uh, But we do agree that children are innocent, though born with a sin nature. They're, They're innocent until their mind starts working. Our picture often of little children is... Uh, them cuddled in their mother's arms. And we think, oh, look at that precious, innocent little one. But it isn't long before that little one, that innocent child, begins to demonstrate its failing. Because shortly after they're able to start reasoning, even at the smallest way, able to walk and toddle around, able to grab something and hold on to it and possess it, that they start hiding, covering up, lying, hiding forbidden things. Predat Kumar says, a child loses his innocence 
when he starts to hide something from others. You, you've seen it. Every one of us have seen it. We've watched the little toddler begin to reach to grab something that they know they're not supposed to have. And if, if mom or dad's around, what do they do? <laughs> You've observed it, haven't you? Or maybe mom and dad didn't see them take it, but they are aware of the absence of something. And they question the little child and the little child. <laughs> no. Freedom talks about a story I think he made up just to, to make the point. He talks about a child who sees his father working with a calculator, doing all of the functions that, that a calculator would need to do. And the child says, Daddy, can I play with the calculator? No, little one, I'm afraid you might break it. You can't play with it. But when Daddy's done, he puts it away and walks out of the room, and the little one goes and gets the calculator begins playing with it, and before long, Father's prophecy comes true. A button sticks, it's dropped, it's broken, it doesn't work, and the little one puts it back in its place, thinking, he won't know I did it. Dad comes back the next time to use his calculator, and sees the damage, realizes it's not working, looks at the child, and asks whether the child has done anything with the calculator. The little child, believing and finding that it will be safe to lie so that he can avoid punishment, says, no, no, I haven't had your calculator, Daddy. Oh, We've all experienced that. Frankly, we've all done that, haven't we? The child has learned how to hide something from others, and he also learned to lie. He's lost his innocence. What's true of that little child? It's true of all of us. We learn to hide our faults and our failures, we try to hide our sins. And we think we do it quite well. The psalmist is addressing that issue. And it's interesting to look at this, this psalm and, and see how he addresses that. The way he begins to unfold the heart of the matter that he wants to, to share. And he begins by reminding us that God is always revealing his glory. Always. But just as true, we persist in hiding our faults. He unfolds the chapter talking about the heavens and the heavens declaring the glory of God and seeing the wonder and the handiwork of God. I remember two times in my life when I was in a very dark place, very late at night, and just was able to observe the stars with the naked eye. One time I was on top of a mountain in North Carolina. It was actually at a youth camp that I was directing. That was a long time ago when I directed youth camps. And a friend of mine and I were out making sure that all the kids were where they were supposed to be. And that meant walking the whole property. 
And we found ourselves walking across a meadow and we looked up and the heavens were just glorious with the display of stars. And we looked at the stars in the sky and we talked of God, his greatness, his majesty. I remember later in life, children were uh, probably in elementary school and uh, you, you maybe have heard of the Perseid meteor shower comes about once a year. And Linda and I decided that this night, after it was good and dark, we'd get the kids and put them in the car and drive out into the country away from the city lights so we could watch the meteor shower. And just one after another, after another, after another, uh, what I grew up calling shooting stars, went across the sky. And we're reminded in those moments the greatness the goodness of God. You have similar experiences where you just stood in awe and no one even necessarily brought up to, to comment about, look how great God is. You just sensed it because you saw him. You saw his handiwork. You saw his goodness. And it's in that that the psalmist says, God is revealing himself. He's making himself known. The psalmist particularly talked about the sun. He talked about the sun moving across the sky from rising at one end of the heavens and making its circuit to the other end of the heavens. Of course, we understand that it wasn't the sun that moved. The psalmist didn't know that. We do. But we understand what he was saying. The greatness and the beauty of God in the sun. When I got up this morning, uh, the first time I looked outside, you know, through the closed blinds and everything, I, I saw the sun shining. And my immediate thought was, everybody's going to be in a good mood today. Because the sun's shining. And in that, we see the glory of God. The psalmist reminds us of that. The New Testament, Romans chapter 1, says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. The psalmist is reminding us what the New Testament says to us, that even without the utterance of God's message, God reveals himself and makes himself known to us. But while he's making himself known, we're like the little child being caught and trying to hide. We hide. We hide our faults. We hide our sins. We hide our wickedness, or at least we try to. Adam and Eve hid in the garden, painfully aware of their sin. Scripture says that God looked for them, calling through the garden. We, we ask the question, why did an all-knowing God have to look for them? And the truth is, he didn't. He knew where they were. He knew what had happened. But it was his way of pointing out to them that the relationship had shifted. This, their disobedience had changed things. Their desire to hide at the sound of his voice 
pointed out the consequence of their sin. They were separated from God. In a way they never had been before, they were now separated from God and they were trying to hide. So do we. Every sin, <clears throat> every sin removes us from the presence of God. He knows. Even when we don't know, He knows. So then what are we hiding from? If God knows, and we believe that He does, He knows all about us, what are we hiding from? The reality is that we're hiding the truth from ourselves. We want to overlook our offenses. We want to excuse our failures. We want to ignore our moral shortcomings. We want to hide our sin from ourselves. And we aren't honest with ourselves. God is always revealing his glory. We persist in at least trying to hide our faults. The psalmist went further. God is always revealing his pathway to blessing. We always persist on the pathway to brokenness. God isn't just saying, I'm here. I'm here. He's warning us. The psalm says that clearly. He's warning us. The servant is warned, and there's great reward. Verses 7 through 10, we find a beautiful form of parallelism often found in Hebrew literature. There are many different ways of saying the same thing in those verses. It begins with identifying God's truth using a series of different words, talking about the rightness and the purity of God's truth, and then the benefit of it. So it says, the law is perfect and it revives us. Statutes are trustworthy, they give us wisdom. Precepts are right, and they fill us with joy. Commands are radiant, filled with light. All of these things describing the truth of God. Why does the psalmist make this shift about God revealing his glory to, to talk about the law, the statutes, the truth? It's because they are the mirror which show us ourselves. The word of God is the mirror that shows us ourselves. I was interested to hear, uh, both in private conversation and then in his comments today, that, that Jason talked about getting a Bible into the hands of every student that, that's a part of their clubs. Because that Bible becomes the mirror that helps us see ourselves in the light of God's truth, his understanding. We live in what many are calling a biblically illiterate time. That's true of those who are not a part of the church. Unfortunately, it's, it's true of far too many who are a part of the church. We're biblically illiterate. I shared with Jason a story of a friend of mine. Some of you have heard me tell this story. but A friend of mine had begun questioning things of faith. He had never attended church. And we would meet together once in a while and, and talk about... God, faith, 
And at one point I looked at him and said, have you ever? Or I said, do you own a Bible? And he sat upright, almost as if my words were kind of a rebuke. He didn't take them that way, but I'm just trying to describe the, the reaction that he had when I spoke that to him. And he sat back in his chair and he said, I never thought of owning a Bible. And so I said, I'll buy you one. And I took him a Bible and I gave it to him. And I suggested where he should read and I pointed him to one of the Gospels and said, read this through. And as you read it through, write down your questions and we'll talk about them. And we did that. We met a couple of times and, and talked about his, his questions about it was the Gospel of Luke that I had asked him to read. And it, it was great conversation, and he read that very quickly. When he had finished reading that, and we had finished talking about his questions and thoughts, I, I suggested, you know, that's about Jesus coming. Why don't you read about the beginning of the church? Why don't you read through the book of Acts now? And he said, sure, I'll do that. And the, the days forward were different than the days previous. He didn't come to me with questions. He wasn't bringing up the idea of reading the Bible. And finally, he came to me many months later. I had not pressed him on the issue. I thought, he'll bring it up when he's ready to bring it up. And he said, I have a confession. I haven't read Acts. When you gave me that assignment, told me to read Acts, I went home, I started looking through the Bible, I even went to the table of contents and found it and tried to find the book of Acts, and I couldn't find the book of Acts anywhere. Acts, A-X-E, Acts. <laughs> we both laughed, because he had since learned his error. We live in a biblically illiterate time. People don't know the truth of the word of God. And yet the psalmist tells us that it's in the word of God. It's in these laws, statutes, precepts, commands, decrees, ordinances that we find God's pathway to blessing. There's a pathway, a blessing that comes. And we must read the Bible, know the Bible, learn the Bible, because it shows us how we can find the way to God's blessing. He reveals himself in nature, but he continues to reveal himself through the word of God, through his truth, through the things that he teaches us and helps us, and it becomes our pathway to broke blessing instead of continuing to live on a pathway to brokenness. Third, God is always providing his plan for forgiveness. We are always deciding whether or not to be honest about our condition. Listen to Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Beginning of verse 1, Matthew 15. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, 
And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used for their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their efforts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called out to the crowd, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Jesus replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the root. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. Peter said, Explain this parable to us. Are you so dull? Jesus answered. Don't you see that whenever, whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out from the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these things defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, <coughs> theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. What's Jesus saying? He's reminding us, I think, what the psalmist reminded us. We get caught up on all these little things that don't amount to anything. We think we're on the pathway with God. And yet, we're hiding all the things that really matter the things of the heart, the things of importance. And there comes a point, there comes a time when we have to stop hiding. We have to become honest. We have to look into the mirror. And we have to say, I want to be right with God. I want to be right with Him. Speaking about this, or writing about this, Oswald Chambers said, Purity is too deep down for me to get naturally. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, he brings into the center of my life the very spirit that was manifested in the life of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, who is unsullied purity. I would say unsullied innocence. So there comes a place, a point, a time, when we understand that God is revealing himself through nature, but through his word, and that's a mirror for us to see so that we can see our own life. We can see the things that we're hiding, things that we're holding back. 
And then we come to the end of the psalm. And the psalmist makes a decision. I think it's his way of saying, I'm not going to hide anymore. And he says, forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servants also from willful sins. And he goes on. He ends it with, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. There comes a time to quit hiding. To listen to God. To say the image I see in the mirror of God's word doesn't match up with who God's calling me to be. It's not who I am. And I want to quit hiding and I want to change. And I want to be like him. I want to know his forgiveness, his love, his grace. I'm going to invite you to stand. I want us to do two things when we stand. Casey, I'd like us to go back to those last two scriptures. Um, It begins with, forgive my hidden faults. And I want us to just read these together as a declaration. These last two verses of Psalm 19. After we read that, I want the worship team to come. And instead of the song that you have planned, I'd like you to go back to I Need Thee. Oh, I Need Thee. And sing that together as a time for us just where we stand and where we are to come into God's presence, to confess our need, to ask Him to help us to quit hiding and get on a path of righteousness, holiness, and rightness with Him. Read this with me. Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. Not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer.